Hey there, you are listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy, and I am so glad you are tuning in today because we are exploring the question that I've had, I know you have had in some of those messy, hard moments. Am I screwing up my kids? Please know that if you've asked yourself this, you're not alone. I ask myself this question. My clients ask themselves these questions. It's oftentimes what brings them into therapy in the first place. They share that they are really struggling with perfectionism or people-pleasing, or they find themselves feeling really ashamed of their temper and their reactivity. They struggle with boundaries, and they're like, I don't want to pass this on to my kids. Am I screwing them up already? I invited my friend and colleague, Dr. Sumi Raghavan, onto the podcast to help us explore just this. She's a clinical psychologist. She has a private practice based in New York. She's a mama too. She's so smart, but also keeps it so real. And the combination of those two things is like magic. And I'm excited to share some of her magic with all of you today. You're going to leave this episode hopefully feeling a lot less alone, and with some ideas that you can bring into your life as it relates to breaking generational cycles, reparenting yourself while showing up for your kids in a way that feels in alignment with how you want to show up for your kids, while also tapping into your own intuition and wisdom. Does it sound too good to be true? Stick around for me, okay? This is also one of the most vulnerable conversations that I'm sharing on the podcast and I'm definitely nervous but also really ready to share some of these parts of my story and myself with all of you and gosh I'll even share with you here that this episode has brought forward a lot of conversations in my own family that have been really meaningful to me and so I am so grateful to you for taking the time to hold space for yourself and for my conversation with Dr. Sumi today. Before we dive in, I wanted to share with you a little bit about the sponsor for our podcast. This podcast episode is brought to you by Cozy Earth. Cozy Earth crafts luxury goods that transform your lifestyle. They've been featured on Oprah's Favorite Things, and all their products are made from responsibly sourced viscose from bamboo. So Cozy Earth sent me a pair of their women's loungewear, and I got it in the mail. I put it on right away. (laughs) My toddler looked at me, and she said, cute mama, and then I didn't take it off for two days until my husband was like, hey babe, doing a load. Do you want me to toss that in? (laughs) He also thought it was super cozy when he gave me a hug. He's like, oh, this is nice. Do they make men's? We are a big fan of comfort over here in our family and in our home, and I told him yes, and so we actually used the code that I'm about to share with you to buy him his own loungewear set because he was jealous of mine. And so you can learn more about Cozy Earth at CozyEarth.com. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up. This would make a perfect Valentine's gift for your loved ones. Cozy Earth provided an exclusive offer for the Holding Space listeners today, 35% off site-wide when you use the code DrCassidy35. Learn more at CozyEarth.com. 
you're listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a mom to three and licensed marriage and family therapist. I'm really glad that you took the time to hold space for you by tuning in to today's episode. My hope with this podcast is to share conversations with experts from around the world and parents who've been through it so that maybe you feel a little less alone in your experiences and the messy side of being a parent and being a human and so that you can walk away with supportive steps for what to do next. Listening to this episode is not a substitute for seeking support from a professional in your area. I believe that holding space and offering presence to both ourselves and others is truly one of the most meaningful ways that we can express care. And you are so deserving of that care. All right, are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, Dr. Sumi Raghavan. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast with me. We are like already 20 minutes into our recording time because we've just been talking to each other because as I've shared with you and I'll now share with the listener, I could talk to you about anything. I could talk to you about anything and like we could just go off and have a great time because I love you so much. You are so smart and you're so fun and you are all those things to me and I'm just so excited to have the next hour (laughs) to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Cassidy. I agree. We could just go anywhere in our conversations. (laughs) Um, So I'm excited to be here. I'm really excited to introduce you to the Holding Space listener. You are a psychologist. You are a former professor as well. You and I have bonded over our experience in the world of academia. And you and I first met through our mutual friend, Dr. Becky Kennedy, who brought us and a few others together to form a study group. And it was just such an amazing group of women who I was just honored to be in the presence of and learn from and connect with. And you were one of them. And so, yeah, that's a little bit of our history, but I'd love to give you a chance to introduce yourself to the listener, maybe share a little bit about your context, your background, what lights you up, so that they can fall in love with you too. Oh, thank you so much. Um, That's a tall order for them to all fall in love with me, but hopefully you'll be interested in what I have to say. Yeah, there there you Um, go. Hi, everyone. I'm Sumi. I'm a clinical psychologist. I practice virtually and in Brooklyn, New York. Um, I'm also a mom of two, and I'm a cross-cultural scholar. My work has always been about the intersection of culture and mental health, um, and I think deeply about the impact of social, political, and contextual factors on mental health. And in my work, I'm really kind of committed to shifting away from overly individualistic paradigms and really looking broadly at what other factors inform who we are and who we become. In my practice, which is New York-based, but of course I see people virtually, um, I work with adults uh, coping with a range of factors like trauma, uh, depression, interpersonal and relationship concerns. I work a lot with workplace stress and burnout, and I work with a lot of working moms and high-achieving professionals who are really struggling um, with managing those demands on top of everything else and some of the things that come with it, like imposter syndrome, Um, And of course, as I said, I'm a cross-culturalist and a big part of my work is working with BIPOC clients. I 
really bring in conversations about race, class, culture, ethnicity, and background into the work. I really invite us to think about our intersectional identities, our histories, and the histories of our people, and how all of that informs who we are. Um, like you said, I spent most of my career in academia, really like a decade. Um, and after I earned tenure, I surprised myself by walking away from it all. Wow. And I've been expanding my practice and I actually couldn't be happier. Um, and I also feel the need to add in this winter season, since I'm on the East Coast and we have a cold, cold winter, um, that my kids like to say that I make the best hot chocolate. <laughs> I love that. I love I, that. And I stand by that. I do. I can tell you more about that later. I'm, 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 sli- I'm very interested, actually, um, because on, on, on the advent calendar yesterday, which I also forgot to fill out, my son came with me to the, with the empty little box. He's like, Mom, you forgot again. I was like, oh, it was supposed to be hot chocolate today. Like, here's this Trader, here, here's this Trader Joe's ornament that melts yeah. in the hot milk. And I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing for, um, So I almost feel like I want to tell you my hot chocolate story because I feel like it's a little bit related to what we're going to talk about today Please, and such an interesting sort of like representation of like what parenthood is really at its core. Um, so let me tell you my incredible million dollar hot chocolate recipe. Are you ready? I'm so ready. <laughs> My mouth is watering. Um, it's powdered Swissness <laughs> in warm milk. Yes. That is the recipe. And here's sprinkled the sprinkled with just you, uh, just you you love, man. Let <laughs> let me tell you like, so I literally, I heat the milk in the microwave for a minute. Same. <laughs> I don't even cook it on the stove. I don't even like no. heat it on the stove, right? It goes in the microwave. Aye. Then I put the Swiss Miss in and I will mix it with a little, I'll like go like this with a whisk. And then, but here's the thing. I have a little like milk frother. So I'll just ah. like turn that puppy on and like yeah. give it a little bit of a frothy top. And my kids think it's magic. Mm. And I think... This is one of those actually like, why do I think this represents something about parenting? Because this actually demands nothing of me except to like add something tiny that makes them feel special. Mm. This is not a hot chocolate recipe. This is a cup of powdered sugar that anyone can make. The only thing I do is yeah. froth the milk a tiny bit, and then I like present it like a hot chocolate magician. I'm like, and now presenting your hot chocolate, <laughs> and my son is like, wow, because like yo, all they need is us. Mm. And you know what else I'd add to this recipe is your ownership and acknowledgement of like, this is this is enough, and this is awesome. Yeah. Pretty awesome. I think I think that that is don't, that don't is, sleep on that Swiss miss, y'all. You don't need the fancy <laughs> stuff, man. Oh my gosh. Okay. So what we're talking about today, absolutely related. And I'm so glad this is how we um introed our episode, hot chocolate, um, is <laughs> what I what I can definitely relate to in terms of my ideal client. Um, no, it's, it's, it's no big, no big shock that my ideal client is also something I can uh, deeply relate to. 
which is folks coming in and myself experiencing um, this constant berating voice in our head of like, am I effing up my kids? Like, am I screwing up my kids? Am I like, is this enough? Or really protecting myself with perfectionism, people-pleasing, high-achieving, driven to protect myself from others seeing that actually deep down inside, I wonder or we wonder or we feel like we're damaged. There's something wrong with us. We're not enough. And in order to make up for all of that brewing, festering inside – we try to show up with perfection or pleasing those around us, putting everyone else's needs before our own, or actually finding ourselves looking outward for what the answer must be because we don't have it, but I bet she does, they do, Like, and I've got to find that. And then if I just absorb that somehow or just do it like they said, yeah. then maybe, then maybe – It'll be enough. And then maybe I can I can get what it is that I, I think deep down I can tap into what I actually want, which is like joy and like presence yeah. and, and enoughness. Ugh. Um, oh, yeah. It's a lot. So Yeah. Sumi, am I am I um screwing up my kids? Um yeah, so yes. <laughs> yes, you are. And follow me for more parenting tips. Done. Yes. Recording over. Um, They're going to be in therapy one day and they'll yeah. be like, yeah, my listen, mom was a therapist. Listen, I make this joke to my colleagues. Like, we need the, we need the business. Like, don't do such a good job. Like, somebody's got to turn up on my couch in 10 years, right? Um, yeah. No, joking aside, look, here's the thing. Like, yes, we are, right? But not nearly as bad as we think or feel. Mm. Um. And I suspect it's less that we're screwing them up and more that we are human and we are flawed and they will be too. Yeah. It, um, when you say that, it, I've been having a lot of really um, important conversations with my own mother as I've been mm. in the process of doing my own work. And, you know, she's... God, I have so much respect for her. She's a Hispanic woman who is a judge now and like holds a lot of power and gives a lot of voice. She works um, – she's in dependency court. So she um, – uh, a court where children are abused, neglected, taken from their homes um, yeah. and just gives voice to many who do not have a voice. And, you know, growing up I looked at her and I was like, you're – perfect you know like you're you are you're you're perfect um and pedestal status for sure and you know my dad is um uh you know feminist and from day like day one when I was born he had a sign made saying welcome home future first woman president um (laughs) no no pressure no no pressure right but like all like believe from day one I could hold the highest office in the land um And, and, and then I, and then, so there was that, you know, and he was always in my corner, but then, and then I looked at my mom and I was like, and that's how you do it. Right. But her and I've had so many conversations now as adults 
where I'm like, you know, you never apologized, mom, you know, like you never said you were sorry. And, 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 and I, I genuinely thought that she, there was nothing for her to be sorry about. She was perfect, you know, um, in my, in my, in my mind. And a lot of the conversations we've been having now is she talks about, you know, she, when she showed up on the first day of law school, she walked in and no one else looked like her and she walked out. And in order for her to ha- have a seat, she had – she felt she had to be perfect. There was no no room for missteps and um, and a lot of also like shape-shifting, people-pleasing to show up with what she thought they needed her to show up as to get where she is today. And like, you know, generational trauma, the way that these things get passed down is real. Oh, yeah. And I um, – it's, it's taken me a lot of doing my own work to – figure out how I begin to shed some of those um, expectations and pressures. But like, wow, is it, um, is it a lot to carry as a, oh, yeah. as a mom? And, and it really was motherhood that made me face some of these things for myself. Yeah. 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 I think that, um, you know, in a nutshell, it's like motherhood is triggering. Um, it activates and we reactivates our own experiences of childhood and leads us to think about our own experiences of being children. And then, and that leads us to sort of revisit our past and question the things that our parents did and the messages we got and the decisions we made and the sort of points where they maybe took lefts when they could have taken rights. Mm -hmm. But then I think also when we see our children, it's like we have this fear because we're so conscious of the things that were pain points for us, we want to protect them from that. And we want to make sure that like, we are not, we're not taking the lefts when we're supposed to take rights. Mm. And I think that it creates so much pressure to sort of parent right. Yeah. Because there is maybe some abstract sort of vague assumption that if we do though if we do it right our kids will be okay and I think at the end of the day you know especially when I when I'm working with a couple or or an or a, an individual and they're talking about how they don't feel like them and their partner are on the same page if you know they're partnered it's like there's at the end of the day I think we come in with a lot of some call it baggage we call yeah. it luggage but like at the end of the day you know, and, and that, that impacts how we show up, right? And like yep. what triggers us or, yep. or what, what's yep. easily accessible in a moment when we're feeling, you know, triggered or an intense moment. And I'll oftentimes ask, and my, my husband and I have had these conversations so many times, like at the, at the end of the day, like what is it that we want for our kids? Yeah. And a lot of times it's like I want them, I want them to be okay. I want them to be happy. Right. I want them to feel safe. Right. Right. And, and then it's like, okay, but then how, and then how do we get there? Right. right. How yeah. do we get there? Right. But then we look outside of us because inside it feels like a freaking mess. Yeah. And so we look outside of us to be like, well, it must be out here, the answer. Like, yeah. talk to us about that, this sort of like external. external yeah. Problem. I mean, I think that there are a lot of factors that sort of contribute to how we evaluate ourselves. I think that 
growing up at least in the United States, you know, like we are very much measured by our external productivity um, and our worth is really connected to specific indicators of success from childhood Mm -hmm. onward. And I almost want to put that in quotes, right? Like we're evaluated on grades and this is, there's sort of a movement to shift away from that across the country, even in public school districts, but it wasn't the case when we were kids. Um, You got grades even in kindergarten, first grade. One of those grades was conduct. Remember that? And what was an indication of good conduct? If it was, it was actually compliance. If you were quiet, if you were well, if you didn't talk in class, if you followed all your instructions, if you didn't question the authority figures, um, it's a certain kind of compliance that feels actually um, a little bit stifling, but you were rewarded for it. And then the kind of success that the way it's quantified and categorized is always around like speed, right? How fast do you do things? How quantity? How much can you do? Um, those things really directly tie to like, how the American economy is structured in terms of what we produce. It's like really about creating people who um, can be money makers and producers, not necessarily people that can be like intrinsically satisfied and well enough. Oh my gosh. I mean, as you were talking, I like felt this little tightness in my chest. And like when you were talking about the conduct grade and the need for speed in yeah. like, you know, in ter- and it's not about the process. It's the outcome. It's the outcome. It's outcome to the exclusion of process often. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I just, I'm putting my hand on my chest right now and just like <laughs> kind of like trying to bring a little warmth to loosen it up a yes. little. Cause yes. this is, this was my, this was my, this was our, especially here in the States, our generation's childhood. Yes. And yes. And it was also more, right? More, more, more outside of school. It was activities, more activities. It's very much a little bit of a generation of like a, a version of overparenting um, and a lot of sort of um, training, training children to produce in a society that values a handful of very specific things. Yeah. And I I think it's important to look at the sort of social and cultural factors there because when we think about, you know, you talked about perfectionism and the feeling of enoughness, right? And like perfectionism is really rewarded, particularly in women. it's really reinforced and, and encouraged. And people pleasing is as well, particularly because people pleasing for women has to do with keeping everyone comfortable, mm-hmm. not sort of rocking the boat, mm-hmm. but rather leaning into traditional feminine views of nurturing and caretaking. And when you are rewarded and reinforced for those in your world, for most of your life, it's really hard to unwind that mm. in adulthood. It feels really scary, like really risky. And then we become parents. We have these, we, we, we bring the, this, this 
this child comes into our life in whatever way that child comes into our life. Right, right, right. And then they are they haven't yet like gone through all of this to like right. learn what they need to shut down in themselves. And right. so they come into the world with all of these feelings, all yes. of these things that yes. we learned, yes. that we learned to shut right. down in ourselves. that we right. learned, oh, you go right. in the room and you come back out when you ha- are, have a smile on your face, right? Yes. Or, you know, yes. oh, all those times that you let all of that come out, like right. that pushed people away. Um, that didn't. Right. That was scary. And so, and then, but then they come and they're like, oh, hey, here's a representation of all of the things that you've learned to shut down in yourself. And, and guess what? Now, now we're supposed to validate those things. And you're like, wait, shit, that wasn't, how do I, how do I do that? I don't know how to do that. Yes. I actually, like when you said almost casually, like, so then like all the things, you know, they haven't yet been trained about all the things they have to shut down in themselves. It's like, that's so on point because I think of the, the ways in which we learn as we develop into adulthood, what does and does not work, not what does and does not feel good, but what does and does not work, right? Outcome. Mm-hmm. And we do shut off, shut down and like, compartmentalize entire aspects of ourselves and when we see those things in our those things in our children I think it's like so many triggers because we we are really aware the parts of us that got shut down that suddenly have a mirror in the child are so aware of their own deprivation and they're like wait I exist there I am in that kid let me out wait let me out let me out Mm. and so we have to shut like we feel this tension right like when we're really tuned into it we feel this awareness that like wait I don't want to shut that part down in my kid because actually I know what happened when I shut it down and it doesn't feel good I don't want to shut it down but then the part of us that is a parent is is like listen, kid, this shit's not going to work for you. Take it from me. I've been down this road. I'm just trying to help you out. Cut it out. Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to be somebody someday, right? Like, and that voice we never had as kids, but we've developed as adults. And so both of those voices are sort of battling it out with us internally. And we're like, if I validate you in your, in the parts of you that I wasn't able to have, what does it mean for those parts of me, actually? Mm. Right? And, and and with all this, right? Like we've got our we've got our, our kid looking at us like we are and like we are lovable. Like we are magic. Like we are everything right. to them. Right. And and Best it's like hot chocolate ever best hot chocolate ever right. but inside i'm like it's fucking swiss miss oh can I curse like, <laughs> no we'll we'll mark it explicit oh, like it was okay. bound to happen <laughs> like it was You're like i know you this is like mark it explicit <laughs> okay and it's like they're looking at us like we are magic like we are lovable like and it's like fuck you don't see how damaged i am inside right right and that's actually really terrifying I think in a lot of ways because I think there's the the sort of purity of their love for us 
is something we you don't experience like you know especially in adulthood when you're always being evaluated not loved you're mm. being assessed mm. and you be you cannot possibly imagine it feels mind boggling that someone could simply love you for existing oh my god and i think that that creates this angst in mothers where we feel this need almost to earn that unconditional love like my kid loves me so much the least i could do is get everything right for them it creates almost this pressure because it's like we don't know how to receive that love for what it is which is like actually they just want us to exist can i just remark on something reflect on something that as you were talking you were saying you were saying your child loves you for just existing. Like you like are enough, you are worthy, and yes. nothing that you had to do to earn that. It just is. Yes. And like, as you were saying that, I found myself shaking my head no. And I was like, I was because I, I was I was almost like putting myself in the position of like receiving that, right? And I was like shaking yeah. my head no. Like there's no and, way, right? And you're like, like, no, come on, it's not that easy. And you know, you want to know another time that I've seen a woman shake her head no was my mom recently receiving this incredible award um, mm. from the school where she walked in and walked out because no one looked oh. like her. And she received, it was just, it was just this, this whole like very fancy evening about her, this like incredible wow. video made about her life wow, and her career. That's so cool. And as folks were looking at her and telling her about, what she's done. She kept shaking her head no. And the next day, her and I were driving to go see Lizzo, <laughs> as yeah. we do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, I brought this up to her. Um, and she said, <clears throat> it, was, it, it was a part of this, a lot of these conversations that her and I have been having. And she said, she's like, you know, I still feel like an imposter. Like yeah. she, she's like, and she, she said, she's like, I, when I got into the program, like it was through like a diversity program. And like, she's like, she said, I got in through the side door and oh. I have felt like an imposter ever since. Like, oh. I mean, and the imposter stuff was before that. Right. But like, right. and it's so, as you were saying this to me, I'm shaking my head. No. Right. Like that I'm enough, right? right. Like just the my existence. image of her shaking her head. And then I was like, where have I seen this before? And it's mm. like, and I think that, you know, a lot of times when we <clears throat> talk about this, like, this reparenting work or this like, it, it's, I think there can be this sense of like, either it feels like resentment towards our parents or we feel protective of our parents. Like I don't, yeah. don't blame them because of all of the sacrifices that they've made. And, 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 but then I think what, what both of those lead to is like ne neither one allows us to like name it and like yeah. <laughs> talk about it, like put, bring it out of the shadows, like put it on the table, like shed some light on it and, and can, and put some context to this. Right. And yeah. this isn't like, if I, if I can take a moment to zoom out and look at the, my mom's context or my parents' context, like we're, we're not talking, you know, my dad's got his own, his own story too. But when I can contextualize these things, it brings in, oh, this system was hurting them too, right? Like they were hurting too. Oh they goodness. were trying to survive so what they knew. Like, yes. and, and do I want to continue <laughs> that cycle or, 
or do I want to break the cycle? Do I want to be a cycle right. breaker? Do I want to do something say? different? Do I want to do something different? And sometimes we can, sometimes in that we can have conversations with our parents and sometimes we can't because they're not here, because they're not willing, because it's not safe, right? Like, but it doesn't mean that we can't still like say, huh, zoom out and then zoom back in to like now this moment I'm having with my child and why, why am I shaking my head at Dr. Yeah. Sumi saying that I'm enough, that I can just exist in my enoughness? Yeah. yeah. We carry the histories of our people in our blood in that way. And, yeah. we, you know, I think of how incredible it must be for your mother to have achieved this level of success, for a, particularly for a woman of her time, place, and history. Yeah but also how alienating at points that that must feel. Oh, 100%. Mm. 100%. And, you know, I think to to come to these things, to come to these sort of – because she didn't go to therapy, right? Like a lot of – I, I mean, yeah, of course she didn't. Neither one. <laughs> no. That's a, no. It's, it's, it's taken me – going to therapy and then becoming a therapist, right? Right, right, right. <laughs> to, to then bring some of these conversations to it. And so, you know, I think for the listener, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really wanting to connect with them on it's, there's going to be work, right? That like is going to come to you to like, take that step of like and that courage that it takes to embrace the vulnerability that it says i'm going to take a i'm going to take a look at this right yeah. like i want to and, and a lot of times folks will come to therapy and they're like i want to do better for my kids i don't want to screw them up like those people come yeah. say like i feel like i'm fucking up my kids and i don't want to yeah. do that and it's like yeah. you know what whatever brought you here if it's like your kids <laughs> your kids yeah home, yeah yeah, promise, yeah. Like, whatever gets you in the door whatever <laughs> gets you in the door but yeah. you're here now yes and and and, and, but then there can be, there can come resentment of like, you know, I've, I just had a client recently be like, why, why though me? Why do I have to be the one that like comes in and does this? And it's, you yeah. know, folks talk about like resentment, like falling under the, actually the realm of like, of like envy, you know? Um, right. And it's like, why do I have to be the one that goes in and like does this? Because this hurts. This is hard, right. you know? Right. And also like, why didn't somebody do that for me? Mm. There's a piece of that sort of deprivation and sadness and loss, right? There's so much in there. And and I think in the work, there's opportunities like like there was for me to go to go to my parents and to have some of those conversations. And in these moments where, you know, my my daughter or my son come to me with, you know, I shared this with you, um, uh, another call that you and I had, you know, my, my oldest came and she had to do some corrections on, they don't call them tests anyway, they call them assessments and she doesn't get grades. She gets like questions about like, how did you feel about the experience? You're like, how do you know how you're doing? <laughs> but, but like we could do the math, right? And so the math was a 27%. Right. And, like right. that, like, and she No, I remember say, when you said that to me and I was like, oh no, Cassidy. <laughs> She's. It's a fail. It's like, it's a fail. But like, but, and so she came to me, she's like, I need to do these corrections. And I remember vividly, like 
homework being so stressful and like studying. And like, if I came home with corrections, how intense that would have been. You know, my dad didn't grow up with a lot of resources. He grew up poor and the way in which he learned that he was going to find like safety and security was through school, through education, by getting good grades, getting a higher education, getting a, a job with a government with the government you know that was a really specific thing like like good job with the government where he was going to have benefits and security and he did he became a public defender and but for him as a child the pressure around that was intense right and him and his siblings from what he's shared had a really kind of comp- there's a lot of competitiveness in the home around these sort of things And how that then translated for me as his child was when there were grades and tests, it was an intense experience with him. And him and I have had conversations now as adults where I've shared like, hey dad, right now, like you seem like really intense. And he has shared with me, oh, I'm feeling anxious or scared. But as a child, that anxiety for me, the intensity of it felt more like anger and it was scary. And, you know, now as a parent myself, as my kids are getting older and they're bringing home things like assessments and, you know, grades aren't a thing yet, but like (laughs) they're going to be, these are triggering situations for me. And I found myself in this moment with my daughter thinking, noticing this and recognizing, okay, I can do this differently. You know, my parents went through a lot and they sacrificed a lot and I can, as part of the legacy of our family, I can break the cycle of this pressure and this intensity around things like grades by doing something different with her. This could be a different experience that I could... I could I could show up for her in this moment, and I, and because I know how neurobiology works, could wire something differently. Yes. Um, yes. And and while while I asked her, do you want me do you want me to sit with you, or did you want to just share it with me? And she was like, no, I want you to to sit with me and do it. I went and I made her a cheese board, and I made us a snack board. Yes. And we, ate and we laughed yes. because she also forgot her study guide. So, like, we literally didn't have the, like, answers. So, we had to, like, Google things about, like, plate tectonics of, like, right. our planet. Right. And I'm, like – and I even, like, told her, like, I don't know any of this. I probably studied this. But, like, I don't need it. to know yeah. this today. In, it's a, in and out. In and out. And we laughed about it. And, like, we probably didn't get it all right. And, you know, she was already going to have to – a deal with the na- some of the natural consequences yes. that came with this situation. Like she, she was going to tell her teacher the next day that she forgot the study guide and that not all the corrections might be right. And she's going to have to address that. Right. Like natural consequences, right? Like she'll probably be more likely to remember next time to bring her study guide because she already had to deal with that once. And that was probably not going to be comfortable. And I didn't need to rescue her from the frustration and yes. discomfort of that. Right. Yes. But I could sit with her and still support her in figuring out what she could do creatively with what she had available to her in that moment. You know, and also we brought, I brought, we brought context into the situation. Like we were out of town for a little bit and our family had COVID. She missed quite a bit of school. And so it actually made quite a bit of sense when you look at the storyline and the narrative of yes. how we got here for why she 
missed, you know, so many and had so many corrections on this particular assessment. And you know who also healed in that moment? Well, well I was, you know, the neurobiologist, like yeah. you know, neuro nerd freaking, like, you know, wiring new things for her. Yes. Me. Yes. Like little me was in there. Young like you. Yes. Wow. This is a new experience. And, yes. and, and this is, this is the work. This yeah, is man. the work. Like it's, yes. I get to do this, not just for her, but for me too. But for the younger version of you. And that, that's like a, that's such a beautiful story. And what a powerful thing you were be able to do for your daughter that I'm sure she will have moments where she can reflect on that. Like I was so freaked out and my mom just like made me a snack and like did the work with me. And it makes me think of all these things that we've been talking about, about this idea of, you know, what is, what is reparenting? Well, to the extent that you can get in touch with the parts of yourself that you shut down growing mm. up and the experiences of need and deprivation that you had, to the extent that you can validate them in your child and yourself, mm. you heal and you change, you do something different, you show up differently for them. Mm. And we can do that without it being an indictment of the way in which we were parenting, mm. but rather to see it as an opportunity to take what was given us to now think about things differently. Mm. I feel so much gratitude to my parents. My mom is like a boss. She is amazing. She don't don't mess with my mom, you know, same, but like same. she's tough survivor kind of character mm. that couldn't have that did not have the luxury of the time and the and the privilege mm. of self-reflection and self-improvement in the ways that I do. Mm. But she gave that gift to me. Mm. And I can in some ways show up differently to my kids. And in some ways, like really actually learn what she did well, which is like she loved me no matter what and always yeah. made me feel that way. Same yeah. here. And I find myself thinking about the listener who didn't. I know. Didn't feel that love, I right? Know. Um, I, know. I found myself thinking about also, you know, some of the clients that I've worked with who who come in and 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 have resentment and pain um yeah. and anger towards you know their parents right legitimate and justified anger yeah absolutely and and come in and in some ways feel like but but a part of me feels like I needed those experiences to like make me who I am today you right. know right and that's that's some that's a that's a, a a tricky thing to untangle too um right I mean we humans are narrative-oriented, meaning-making creatures. Mm. And can you, can you, what does that mean? Can you well, unpack that a little it, more? Well, I think about that as being the work that we facilitate and guide as therapists, right? We yeah. help people yeah. create meaning from their pain and their experiences. We help them to tell their stories in ways that feel authentic to them. And we help them connect the dots on things that don't make sense to them. And some of the ways in which we make meaning from pain and from trauma, be it relational trauma, like from our parents, or the kinds of traumas that I think people classically think about, 
um, like violence or, you know, like a terrible accident or something, regardless, like we have one of the ways in which people make meaning from that is they consider the consequences of that to have enhanced and strengthened them in some way. Mm. Like this made me stronger. This made me tougher. This made me who I am. This is the reason I could do this. And I think this is an attempt to create meaning from something that would feel very meaningless otherwise. Mm. And I, I think that in good trauma work, we allow for phases and stages, right? Mm. Like, this may have served you in certain ways. You developed certain skills and abilities because this happened. Um, but you're also coming to me because something there isn't working now. Mm. So is yeah. there a new meaning we can make at this yeah. point in your life that doesn't erase what came before, yeah. but is the theme of this chapter? Yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. So... For the listener who at this point is like, okay, that's a lot. <laughs> like where, yeah. where, where do we start? You know, like where. Yeah. To I sort of go back to the initial question of like, am I screwing up my kids? Like where do yeah, I start yeah. if I don't want to, if I don't want to be in that dilemma? Right? Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? I think that we start by reframing the question of, how can I show up differently for my kids? Um, and I think that, as you described a few moments ago, the work is in recognizing the ways in which your own childhood, what was and was not working for you, yeah. and how you can connect with that version of yourself. Mm. So that mm. in doing so, you can show up differently for your child, knowing that they don't have to shut those same things down to be well. Mm. I have so much data, information, wisdom inside of me for what my daughter may need in that moment when she comes to me with her 27% on that science assessment. Um, I have, I have that inside of me. And and this isn't to say that like all the things that I have read and listened to and the scripts that I've like, you know, read, I I, I, like copy and paste onto my phone for a rainy day. You're such you a good like, student, Cassidy. I was such a good student. I know how to get we read your notes. <laughs> yeah. But and momming for you. Yeah. Um, thank you. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's 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 taking all of that as as and then and then it's really tapping in back into myself. Like that's what how it do is. I take all of yeah. this and make this my own? Yes. Right? Like because in that moment, pulling that perfect script and like, and then and and then and then regurgitating that, like, kids can sniff out oh, bullshit 100%. and authenticity or not, right? Like, oh my so god, they can. It's, it's got to come oh. from myself, and like, yes. and it's freaking terrifying because yeah. I'm so used to 
society selling me selling me this package of like what I'm of what's what going not. to what I'm not what and not. also what I need from them in order yeah. for me to like right. be good. Right, and right, so right, right. yes. And so it's like it's finding it's finding the, you know, it's finding what aligns. And and I know you and I you and I met through our our friend Dr. Becky. Um yeah. like she brought us together. And so like that is one space that I like wholeheartedly feel aligned with that I can absorb. Right. And right. right. And then, and, and, and we've talked about this, we've talked about this in, in our, in our, you know, um, meetings with her, like, then I've got to make it my own. It has to come from my voice and where that, where that intuition, where that wisdom comes from is by tapping into that part of me, that all those things that I learned to shut down. Right. And like, and and when when it was shut down and what I needed in those moments, which I think comes, you know, and this is a conversation my husband and I will oftentimes have, but as we talk about what we want at the end of the day for our kids is like, it's, it's going to, we want similar things and we come from maybe different experiences, different contexts, different narratives. And, and we have this opportunity to tap into all of that right? Not erase it, tap into it Yep. while we rewrite the narrative for what, what comes next and what's going to come out of our mouth in those, in those tricky moments. Right. Right. Yes. I think what you're, you know, I co-sign everything you just said that it's in us. We have so much in us. We have so much in us. And, um, you know, I've told you this before. I've never read a parenting book in my life. I don't say that in a, um, sort of self-important way. It's rather that like, I'm like dangerously confident um, (laughs) in my own ability to simply love and connect with my kids and figure the rest Mm. out on the sides. Um, But I like what I, what I want for women and mothers is an empowerment around their own capabilities as people and a liberation Mm. from the pressures of perfection because our children want us as we are. It's already the best hot chocolate ever. Mm. It doesn't matter if it's Swissness. And even if you forgot to put the this morning we're going to have hot chocolate no in the advent calendar <laughs> and, and your child comes to you and says, you forgot again. Like there was a part of me that was like, yeah. here it is. They, he sees now yep. how like yeah. broken and damaged I am inside. And, but then, but then no, because it's like, oh, yep, forgot. Yep. Imperfect human, flawed human over yes. here. Right? And modeling like- that is actually really powerful, right? Yeah. Like you mentioned that, you know, we, we've, we connected through Dr. Becky, and one of the things that she talks about is that our children are just hyper aware of our competence mm-hmm. and that demonstrating our humanity is really valuable for them, um, both in helping them feel like they can relate to us because we too make mistakes, right? But also in like modeling that adulthood is not about getting everything right. And in fact, Mm -hmm. that we regularly err and that we are okay with our errors. Like, oops, sorry. Like I shouldn't have done that. Like I I screwed that up and like, but you know, we're going to be okay. Not like, oh my God, I'm so right. And, and, and it's, the inner voice is like, what were you thinking? Why didn't you get this? How could you miss this, right? Like, that voice is not doing anybody any favors, but it's in there for all of us. It was 
it was there. It was totally there. And right. And and I've 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 been for for a while now working on this muscle, toning this muscle of like right. taking a beat and and giving myself like this compassion. And yeah. it's like so awkward. Right? Like it feels right. so awkward. It but like feel natural, right? It does not feel, but I love awkwardness. Like anytime I'm awkward, I, I know that my that's literally my brain being like, this is odd. And like, right. huh, it turned out okay. Let me let me draw this new little connection right. here. You're and learning. then make it a little easier next time. It's so awkward for me to be like, oh yeah, but sorry. Yeah. Like I um I was I, I, I forgot, you know, like, and it doesn't, and, and it doesn't mean it's not important to me. It is important to me. And I forgot. And like, you know what it was going to be? Can I just tell you? Tell it was going to be, we were going to have hot chocolate this morning. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm pretending like I'm talking to him, you know, like, like, yeah, like we're going to have hot chocolate this morning. And then we did. And it wasn't, you know, it was a Trader Joe's thing that like dissolved in the milk and it was great. And he, he didn't drink any of it because I don't think he actually likes hot chocolate, but it was like, no, he was hasn't had my hot chocolate. Let me know. Oh, no, he hasn't. Had years. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Not enough. No, no, I have enough. It was, enough. It, was, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. And it's, oh, I, um, I apologize to my kids on a daily basis. And, you know, the other day I lost it and I was so ragey and snappy. And my son yelled back at me, you're going to say the S word to me soon, mom. And I was like, looked at him, you know, and it's like, you're going to say sorry to me soon. And he stomped (laughs) away. And I was like, the the fact that, yeah, in that moment, his, as I'm losing it, his, he was able to be like, this isn't my, this isn't about me. This is, this is her thing. And he was able to sort of call you on it. I actually love that. That's, you know, like we don't, like we don't want our children to be scared of us in that way. We want them to like feel that they can count on the stability of our attachment, even in moments of rupture, right? Moments of Mm. difficulty. I am so moved sometimes by my son's intense like sensitivity in a really positive way where like, I don't know what I was doing the other day, but I was like getting so frustrated, like trying to do something and like struggling with it. And I was like, like just sounded exasperated. And like, he, he like asked me something and I was like, yeah, what? Just give me a minute. Like, just like that. Like, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and he goes, mom, are you annoyed? Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, he caught me. But it was also like so grounding, right? It's like what we do as clinicians, right? It's just labeling, it's tracking an experience without judgment and to have him just look at me and be like you're not are you annoyed and I was just like you know what yes and thank you thank you for noticing and actually you just snapped me out of it and I added like and like it's actually not your job to help me with my feelings (laughs) but I super love that you did in that moment and thanks and how can I help you yeah oh my gosh like you get to be annoyed like The goal here is not like this soft, like this whole gentle parenting. It just like, uh, no, I don't want it because like I've been trying to be gentle my whole life and like I am still not feeling like I'm, uh, you know, like enough or like it's, no, I I don't want to be 
a gentle parent. I want right. to be a human. You want to be a real parent. You want to be an authentic all parent. All the things that come with humanity. Right. And our goal yeah. is not to protect children from the range of the wide range of human emotional experience. Our goal right. is not to prevent discomfort. Our goal is to prepare for it, mm. right? Yeah. Mm. And I am a hundred percent sure that my kids know that grown-ups don't always know what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They see it every day. <laughs> they do. They yeah. do. And and I think that that's going to serve them yeah. so much, so much in the in life because yeah. the world isn't going to be gentle and perfect and right. like and and always patient right. and like right. the right. the teachers that they have, the partners that they have, the friends right. that they have, the bosses. But in that order they have. to prepare them for that, we don't yeah. need to be extra harsh with them so they can yes. tolerate harshness. We don't need to give them the same critical voice that we're trying to silence. We don't need to ask them to shut things down so they can get through those things. It's entirely the opposite. And what if we had been allowed to do that? How would we have turned out? Mm. Mm. Oof. This is one, this is one for the bucks. This is one for everyone. And um, and I am like a little bit of a vulnerability feeling hangover from like how much I disclose of myself, but I'm also feeling like this is, it's part of narrative is also enlisting witnesses to our narrative, right? When we're ready, when we're ready, like it's, you know, like I am ready and I've had conversations that have brought me to this readiness, right? But sometimes as we're doing the work, um, and this is this can happen in the context of therapy, and then yeah. and then I think good therapy also helps you build the bridge to building these witnesses and yep. outside of the room. Yeah. Is as you are doing this work, as you are con- making these connections and these insights, finding the people who have earned the right to be in that space with you right. to share these right. yes. with them, to share this with them. Yeah, and I have to say that like one of the things I've always liked about you, and always just like immediately responded to within you is your willingness to be authentically vulnerable rather than a kind of um, exhibitionistic sort of pseudo vulnerability. (laughs) I am really uncomfortable with that version of things where it isn't that for you. You genuinely sort of allow us to just see what's happening and then to observe your process of making sense of it. And I find that incredibly disarming and because of its realness. And I think that like your clients are so lucky to have you, your listeners are lucky to have you in that regard because it's great modeling as well. And while you shared that, I did my very best to not shake my head. To not shake your head. <laughs> and as your witness, you didn't. Mm, thank you for being a witness, Dr. Sumi. Um, Thank you. Thank you. This has been, um, as I knew, um, and as I'm feeling, just such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for being here with me and for sharing so much of yourself with me, with the listener today. And where can people find you so they can continue to connect with you? And as you're speaking, I'll share, I'll make sure I'm sharing these links of connection in the show notes. Sure. So you can find me on my website, which is www.drsumiphd.com. It's drsumiphd.com. And if you are in New York, 
you can reach out to me for individual psychotherapy. And if you're anywhere and you are a clinician who's interested in support, you can reach out to me for peer support. And if you are an organization, a group, and you'd like to just hear more about trainings, workshops, and other ways in which I kind of share and disseminate knowledge and information, you can reach out to me all through that website. Um, And I really enjoyed our conversation today. It felt as often my interactions feel with you, just so natural. Um, you, You are not, what again, what I love about you is you are not curated. You did not come in here, you know, for the listener in our first call before we started this, you said, I like, I don't want a script. I don't, I like us to have a general theme, but I want us to have a, a true off the cuff, natural conversation. And it really shows, and it's, I think, part of your authenticity. And I really valued, I didn't know all the things we were going to talk about and the places we were going to go today. And that's part of the fun. Um, and it was really gratifying for me too. So thank you. Thank you. And then once again, I didn't shake my head. No, I received it. I received it. And I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, girl, really you rock. Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Dr. Sumi. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. Be well. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to know when future episodes air. And go and explore some of those past episodes. Maybe there's a topic in there that you've really been wanting to learn more about. You can learn more about my private practice as well as my parenting courses and workshops at the link in the show notes. You held space for yourself today. You carved out the time and you tuned into this episode. I hope you take a moment to honor how meaningful that is. Yes, to me for sure, but also for you. Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time.